Good morning, Redeemer. It's good to be with you all this morning. Um, as I do the day before January 20th, um, I'd like to remind you, uh, tomorrow we celebrate uh, the birth of Martin Luther King, which I actually think he was born on January 15th, um, but tomorrow we celebrate that and um, encourage you every year to take time to read the letter from a Birmingham jail. It was written in April 16th, 1963. It is one of the most profound documents ever written, I believe. Uh, and it, I strongly encourage you to read it tomorrow. Uh, another thing, just um, I love to highlight some books that have influenced me in the way uh, that I think, especially related to this issue uh, of race relations in our country. Um, one is uh, How Black is the Gospel by Tom Skinner, one of the most helpful books uh, I've ever written. written. I did not write, write this. Uh, Tom Skinner did in 1972. Uh, he was in the Civil Rights Movement. This is a fantastic book, um, also Divided by Faith, uh, which is a fantastic book. And then also Jamar Tisby wrote this book, The Color of Compromise, uh, wrote it last year. And so as we celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday tomorrow, I just wanted to highlight a couple books on um, the issue of racial reconciliation in the church because it is a significant topic that we need to think biblically about, and these brothers have thought um, a lot about the topic. So let's jump into this letter. I was um, eating dinner one night with a neighbor up the street, and he was, uh, he's from a different country, and um, he, he speaks English pretty well, and uh, he's actually in an ESL class, but he, he was talking to me one evening, and I said to him, I asked him, what adjective would you use to describe the United States and your experience in the United States? Because he had never been in the United States. I said, what, 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 what adjective would you des describe your experience here and, and Americans in general? And he looked at me and he said, excitement. He said, everything in your country has to be exciting. Everything is an event. He said, Eric, the other day I went to a, a basketball game at the Capitol Center. Well, it's not called the Capitol Center. What is it called now the, where the Bullets play? They're not called the Bullets now. They're called the Wizards. I'm dating myself. <laughs> what, are they, what is that thing called? The Capital One Arena. Thank you. He said, I went to the basketball game. I was expecting basketball, but I got free food because he was in the Alexis box. I got free food. I got free dinner. There was dancing. There was music. There was basketball. There was dancing. There was music. There was basketball. Then there was more dancing. Then there was more music. Then there was basketball. And then we waited 30 minutes after the game, anticipating something else. We wanted more music. We wanted more dancing. But there was nothing left. And he said, it's all about excitement. It's all about the events. And um, I looked at him, and I said, yeah, I agree. We are an exciting people, and we are an excitable people. We like the drama. When I read the first 15 chapters of Acts, I have to admit, it's really exciting. The mission is really exciting. There's a lot of drama. And I'll be honest, sometimes when I read Acts, I feel a little guilty because I don't see a lot of missional excitement in my life. And then, if I'm really, really honest, I start getting a little irritated at the book of Acts. I don't see Peter paying bills. I 
don't see any of the guys getting older and no complaining of arthritis. Where's the changing diapers? Where's the gaining weight? Where's the getting old? You know what I mean? Where's the ordinary, mundane parts of life? You see, Acts, in my opinion, is the highlight reel of church history. And it's the letters that actually get into the real parts of church. Uh, it's the behind the scenes part. Um, what, one of the things that I love about Paul is he's a realist. Uh, he never disparages or degrades the non-exciting parts of life. In fact, he honors them. He redeems them. They are a given. You see, church, we need to be careful that we don't breathe in the secondhand smoke of our culture that everything is supposed to be exciting. It's not. Actually, up until about 20 years ago, people were quite happy being bored. <laughs> the context of our mission together as a church can actually be quite mundane, um, normal. And we can assume parts of our life are quite unspiritual when the reality is they are a gift from God. Even the unspiritual things that we can feel are unspiritual are actually quite a gift from God. This week in our LT meeting, we were praying for you all, and Mike Bellamy looked over to me and he said with excitement, we're living the mission, baby. And then he repeated himself four times, which Mike Bellamy loves to do. We're living the mission, baby. We're living the mission, baby. And it hit me. Redeemer, we are. We're living the mission, baby. <laughs> and this text is, I believe, Paul saying that to the Corinthian church, or the, the Colossian church, in his prayer. We're doing it. He's encouraged. He's thanking the Colossian church, and he's saying that. We're living the mission, baby. He's thanking them for that. He's encouraging them in that. He's praying over them that they're doing it. They're living the mission. He had heard stories from Epaphras, this lead pastor who had planted a church in Colossae and Hierapolis and Laodicea about seven years ago. And he wanted to encourage them as, as their lead pastor, Epaphras, had been bragging about them. He had heard that they had been fruitful in gospel ministry. And he wants to encourage them. And he begins this, this awesome letter with, with a, a prayer of thanksgiving to the Father. That the mission of God was going forward and it was producing and increasing gospel fruit. Which I believe sets up a question for us to ask of this text that I want us to wrestle a little bit in this text. And the simple question is this. How do we live out the mission, Redeemer's mission, in the midst of the mundane? How do we live out the mission, Redeemer's mission, that God has given us in the midst of the mundane? How do we do this together? How do we do this together? Now listen, I'm not against excitement. I like excitement. You, you all know I'm an excitable person. I'm actually quite excited about our mission together in 2020 and our future. I think 2020 is going to be a season of reaping, and we have sown in the past 10 years a lot of seeds. 
What I mean by mundane is that the mission is accomplished in the normal patterns of life. The mission is accomplished in normal patterns of life. You see, everybody wants to be a Superman type in the life of the mission, but the reality is a lot of mission is more like Clark Kent. It looks like Clark Kent. We still have to wait. We still have to pay our dues. We still have to learn. We still have to sleep. We still have to go to the bathroom. We still get sick. We still have to pay bills. We still have to change diapers. We still have to go to the doctors. We still have to go through conflicts. We still have to pay for school loans. We still have to get braces. All those things, those mundane things, are the context for the glory of God in the mission going forward. Can we say amen? Amen. Mundane comes from the Latin word mundus, which means world, which means things on earth. Friends, the mission of God is lived out while we live out the things on earth, and it is in the midst of it, the earthly things, the normal things, that God does the extraordinary things. Paul, in verse 6, uses explicitly the imagery of a vine. Something is growing and bearing fruit and increasing. Now I think Paul is probably using Genesis imagery here of the creation mandate. If you remember the creation mandate, God commands Adam and Eve to what? Bear children and increase. So there's imagery here of creation mandate but I think primarily there's imagery of John 15. John 15, of being disciples that are fruitful. Let me read you John 15, and this is from Eugene Peterson's The Message. It'll fill it out for you. This is John 15, verses eight through 17. This is how my Father shows who he is. When you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Let me repeat that. This is Jesus Christ speaking to you. I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy and that your joy wholly mature. This is my command, love one another that I've loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning, no. I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. You didn't choose me. Remember, I chose you, and listen, and put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil. As fruit bears, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. But remember the root command, love one another. Jesus picked this illustration for us to express to us what our life is on mission is like. It's a vine. And Paul, his prayer in verses 1 through 8, he says to the Colossian church, 
this gospel, this powerful dunamis, this powerful gospel, this gospel of Jesus Christ has come in and taken root in your life and in your community, and it has borne fruit and increased and has created something in you, and, and you can see it. It is bearing fruit and increasing in the midst of you, and you can see it. I've, I've heard of it, and you know what? I've, I've seen this before, this repeating pattern before, and I know it's bearing fruit and increasing in your midst because I've seen it and again and again and again, and here's how I know this is bearing fruit because you're bearing fruit of the gospel and it's done it again and again and again in the mundane things of life again and again, and I'm going to tell you Here's how I know the gospel mission is going forward in your life, Colossae. Here's how. I want to tell you three ways. Three ways. The church in Colossae and church in Redeemer, you're increasing in your gospel faith. You're increasing in your gospel faith. You're increasing in your gospel faith. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. This faith is increasing and growing. Now I want to be clear about something and it gets back to this vine illustration. And we're actually going to unpack this more next week. When we talk about fruit increasing, we have to understand that not every season is fall. Not every season is the harvest. There are winters and there are summers. Vineyards and fruit are seasonal. They're regular, they're slow. They need to be nurtured. And at times the vine needs to be pruned. But no matter how slow, grows fruit. But it's slow. But Paul hears from Epaphras, they have grown in faith. They have grown in faith. Their faith in Christ has increased. Maybe it's slow, but it has grown. Now what does this actually mean, that their faith in Christ has grown and increased? Because this is critical to us in making disciples here. Paul uses this phrase, look at it, in Christ. Do you see that? Faith in Christ. Ace Christos, in Christ. You see that in the text? Faith in Christ. Paul uses this terminology, in Christ, 83 times in his letters. It has massive theological meaning. I think it's his favorite phrase. Now, in Christ can either mean instrument, an instrument, so we receive Christ through the instrument of our faith, Ace can be an instrument, or it can be sphere, a sphere in which we live. So I can say I live in the state of Virginia. I live in the sphere of Virginia. So you have to make an interpretational decision there of what, what does he mean by ace? Does that make sense? Is everybody with me? Hello. Do a little calisthenics, a little teaching time right now, and I know that's when people like check out or look at Instagram. Don't do that. It's really important to understand the Bible, Okay. Everybody with me? Hello, hey everybody. 
Okay. Here's where context is so important. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. We have been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. What kind of language does that sound like? Sphere. Sounds like sphere language. Paul is saying we have been transferred to the sphere of Christ. We are in Christ. We are in the sphere of Christ. So so let me illustrate this for a second. If we were going to St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota right now, how would you prepare for that? What would you pack for that? Winter clothes. If you were to pack for Maui right now, what would you pack? Where would you like to go? Maui or Minneapolis? Maui. Okay. The sphere in which you live directs your behavior, doesn't it? Yes? If you showed up to Minneapolis with a snorkel and a Speedo, that's the wrong choice, right? Brothers and sisters of Redeemer, your faith is in Christ. It has radically changed your behavior. Why? Because of who you are in now. The sphere of who you are in. The presence of the king that you are in. It has radically changed everything. You are in Christ. You see, something magnificent has happened, that the Father has chosen you and decided, you have decided by faith to receive this Jesus as your Lord and King, and that has changed everything. You are in Christ. You, by faith, have received something. You see, faith has content, content, and character. Faith has content and character. See, your faith has content. You believe something about Jesus, and that really, really matters. You see, if Jesus is just Bono and Burlap and a good teacher, it is irrelevant to you. But if Jesus, your faith, has content, that he is the incarnate, crucified, resurrected, ascended king who rules and reigns and will return, and you are in him, that matters. Amen? Whew, that took a big breath. Now, our faith in Christ, faith can also mean faithfulness in Christ. Faithfulness. Faithfulness in Christ. Christ likeness. Obedience to the kingness. Our faithfulness to his kingdom, his kingdom rule, his law, love for God, love for others, to his teachings on the Sermon on the Mount, on the Upper Room Discourse. We are, we are his kingdom people. We pay allegiance to King Jesus. You see, the grace that was found in the truth of the gospel, according to Colossians 1, this grace, grace does something. The favor of God creates fervor for God. Favor creates fervor. Grace, grace, oh my gosh, grace is a massive river. 
And grace creates much fervor for the Lord. And that fervor takes you somewhere. It has current. Have you ever seen a river? A strong river. Have you ever seen class five rapids? Yes? Current. You jump in, it takes you. That's what grace does. And it takes you one place towards holiness, towards Christ's likeness. Why? Because you are in the sphere of Jesus Christ. You have faith in Christ. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. I love this quote. C.S. Lewis says this. May I come back to what I said before? This is the whole of Christianity. There is nothing else. In the same way the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. You know, that, that's what literally Christian means, little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. It says in the Bible that the whole universe was made for Christ and that everything is to be gathered together in him. <laughs> Can I repeat that? It's a colossal waste of time if it is not for Christ and Christ's likeness. Can I get an amen? amen. Your faith is in Christ. Paul sees a Christ-formed, Christ-shaped community, and he rejoices. The mission is moving on in Colossae, and I can say as your pastor, the mission is moving on in Arlington, and I can say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Second, we live out the mission in the mundane as we bear fruit in gospel love, as we bear fruit in gospel Love. Now, love has a definition, and I'm going to go real quick on this one. Love has a definition. It is the cross work of Jesus Christ. Galatians says he loved us and gave himself up for us. Verse 22 of chapter 1 of Colossians, it says he reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross for the sins of the world is the greatest definition of love I know. If you have a better definition of love, come and talk to me about it, and we can have a wonderful conversation. The self-giving love was on full display in Colossae. Verse 4, since all, since we have heard of the love that you have for all, say all, church, all the saints. Verse 8, he has made known to us your love in the spirit. There is an above human love going on in the church at Colossae. Verse two, he says, Paul greets to the saints, to the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. Epaphras was bragging to Paul and to others at the church that these people had an inhuman and above human type of love for each other. The mark that the mission was going forward in Colossae was that they truly loved one another. And Paul rejoices in this, that the gospel was moving forward throughout the world. Do you see the connection? 
Yes, sir. The gospel was moving forward throughout the world because the Christians in Colossae were loving one another, were loving all the saints. Now, last week, Adrian, the guy from Slingshot, remember that? Remember the guy? I put pressure on him. We were praying for him. Um, told him not to blow it. Remember that guy? Um, he said something to me that he wanted me to say something to you, and it was encouragement. He said this, Redeemer, don't take this for granted. You have something pretty incredible here. It is a family. It really seems like you genuinely care for one another, and I could see it and feel it in communion. A love has been given to you. A love has been given to you. Redeemer, I really do believe a love has been given to you. And I believe it is a fruit of a different kind. And it is not manufactured by us. And I can definitely say that. (laughs) It is a fruit of a different kind. It is not manufactured by us. And it is given to us by Christ. And it is a fruit of the Spirit. And as your pastor, I would encourage you to guard it, protect it, nurture it, enjoy it, pursue it, and value it. Paul is very serious when he says, brothers and sisters, in verse 2, this is a heavenly reality. It is not something that little b Baptists say to each other. This is family. It's a part of our inheritance that is to be experienced in part right now. We truly are brothers and sisters. It's not without its hurdles and challenges and pain and struggle, but it is a part of our mission to grow in Christ's life together, to be a transformed people together, to truly be brothers and sisters, to be saints together who truly love one another as Christ loves us. That is the mission of Christ, not only in Colossae, but in Arlington. I mean, Jesus made it explicit. He made it abundantly explicit. Scott McKnight writes, since Paul specifies the object of their love for all God's people or all the saints, we see here an expression of a church-shaped commitment to one another in presence, advocacy, and participation in Christ's formity. He does not have in mind a general humanitarian benevolence, but instead a devoted commitment to presence, advocacy, protection, provision, and mutual sanctification, which others follow, followers of Jesus. You see, it's fascinating that he says all the saints, love for all the saints. There is a mutual and and specific commitment to all the saints. Now, one of the things that I love about Paul is is the commitment is inclusive, but it's specific. And we'll get into this later in the letter, but this letter is being delivered to Philemon. Probably Philemon. Because the Church of Colossae is, is meeting in Philemon's house. Now, what's fascinating is who's delivering the letter to Philemon's house? 
you see this at the end, Tychicus and Onesimus. We all know who Onesimus is. It's the returning bondservant. There might be a little rumbling going on when Onesimus gets back. Because Paul writes a letter, Philemon, right? That, that deals with how to restore that relationship. It's specific. There's a group of people meeting in Philemon's house. I want you to learn how to love all Christians, all right? In Philemon's house. It's specific. Does that make sense? But it's inclusive. I love this. Colossians 3.11. Here there is no Greek or Jew circumcised or barbarian or Scythian or slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. It's also inclusive. You see, Scythian and barbarian was like the lowest of low. It was like the worst of worst. It, it, was, the, it was the, you fill in the blank of the, the, the person you least like. It wasn't across racial lines. It was more stereotype lines. Paul says the, the church, they, they, had, they had love for all types of people in Philemon's home. But, but all these types of people were different types of people. It was a specific group of people meeting in a specific home. What, is that, what does that mean? There's someone sitting right in front of you that you had to work this out with them over time. It was spatial. It wasn't virtual. You couldn't turn the computer off. <laughs> you had to work it out over time in a local church community. Christ was all and in all. It was almost as if he's like, he, he, he could have said to the church in Arlington that meet at Dale's home or Tommy's home or John's house or Victor's house. Um, he could have said here there is no rich or poor, Republican or Democrat or those who voted for Hillary or those who voted for Trump or those who have a PhD or those who have a GED or, or any other racialized term that creates social inequality. He he could have said to us, but no, Christ is all and in us all, and we all say glory to God, right? Now, what is, the, what is the foundation of our mission according to this text? What is the foundation for our faith and love? Well, the text says hope. Verse 5, the text says hope. Now, we have to make a translation decision again in, in verse 5. Is the hope we have, is the hope there, is it modifying why Paul and Timothy pray? Or is it modifying their faith and love? You can work that out in your small group. Um, I believe it's modifying their faith and their love. It's the root of their faith and the love. Why, why the Colossian church love all the saints and have faith in Christ, it is because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. What is that hope laid up for them in heaven? It is Christ. He is returning. He will bring shalom. He will bring peace. He will make all things right. And if you understand Paul and the salvation of Paul, it's not so much us going to heaven, 
Salvation to Paul is one day Christ will return to earth and reconcile all things and make all things right. He will bring back to peace everything that our sin screwed up. And there is one day where God will dwell with man and man will dwell with God. Amen. Ben Witherington says this, Paul tells his audience that their hope is already reserved for them in the heavens, meaning that it exists already in promise in heaven. (laughs) Did you catch that? What you hope for already exists in heaven. The peace that you hope for already exists in heaven at the right hand of the Father in Jesus Christ. The reconciliation that you hope for already exists in heaven in Jesus Christ. No suffering anymore already exists in heaven in Jesus Christ. Do you you understand that? No more sin, no more suffering already exists at the right hand of the Father in Jesus Christ. And when he returns, it's all over. And it exists here today. What exists in promise is at the right hand of the Father in Jesus Christ. And when he returns, it's all done. All reconciled. Nothing broken nothing lost, and that is our hope for salvation, and that is the hope that we have for our faith, and that is the hope that is the bedrock for our love for one another. Paul tells his audience that their hope is already reserved for them in the heavens, meaning that it exists already in promise in heaven where the Trinity dwells, will exist one day in reality on earth, because when Christ returns, he will bring the heavenly good things with him. Lastly, multiplying gospel presence. Multiplying gospel presence. What I love about Paul is he is so excited, and we'll end here. He is so excited that a man named Epaphras went and planted a church in Colossae that he has never met. He is thanking God that Epaphras goes in 6 and 7, he goes and he speaks the word of truth, the gospel, in Colossae. And there are people in this house who know and understand and follow Jesus Christ, and he didn't have to go there and preach and reach them. This church was planted probably six or seven years ago. Epaphras goes and visits Paul, and he hears of a church in Colossae. But if you look at chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4, it's not just Colossae. It's Laodicea. It's Hierapolis. There is, there's, in 416, there is a, there's a house church that meets at Nympha's home in Laodicea. Paul is incensed by this whole thing. The churches are being planted around the world, and the gospel is going forward, and he had nothing to do with it. Do you know how exciting that is to a man sitting in jail? Yes or No. The gospel is moving forward. It's expanding in a profound way. And I want you to see something. Church, I can't tell you how excited I was when Jens and Yanni were up here saying that they're willing to go and to expand the gospel and say, I'm willing to go on and start a new group. I can't tell you how excited when I hear of you all going and sharing the gospel with your friends. I can't tell you how excited I am that we are saving for a church plant. Brothers and sisters, that is our mission. It's to slowly, over time, see 
new people come to Christ, see new groups planted in new parts of the city, and see new churches planted in new parts of the city. This is what we started 10 years ago, and this is what we're going to continue to do, is to continue to slowly see gospel expansion and see it, do it again and again and again, and say restart, do it again and again and again. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord God, please, please, please help us accomplish this. Be pleased with us in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.